Well, with that, let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter, looking at the first 17 verses. Um, the title of our study is The Healing Power of Jesus. We now pick up in, in chapter 8, uh, Jesus has concluded the Sermon on the Mount, which is the greatest sermon ever told, by the way. Um, and we're going to see multitudes, multitudes of people follow him. And, and so it's, it's fascinating. People not only follow Jesus because of his miracles, but people follow Jesus because of his teaching. And we saw this at the end of the chapter last week, that uh, the people marveled. They were astonished at his teaching because he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And so they realized there's something very unique about Jesus. And, uh, and so people were intrigued. They wanted to hear more of what he has to say. And, and, uh, and that's really any um, a preacher's goal, right? At the end, they want to leave you with wanting a little bit more, right? Or come back next week and we'll feel like today we'll finish chapter 8 uh, next week. We're going to do only part of it. So hopefully that encourages you to go home and read it or read ahead, right? Or, or want to come back and hear more. And, and so people were so intrigued. Uh, uh, Jesus, uh, but also because he was performing miracles. And we'll see uh, some of that here in chapter 8. Um, Jesus had compassion on people. And we're going to see he heals several people in this chapter. So with that, we'll take a look at the first four verses. And we'll see Jesus cleanses a leper. It says here in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one. But go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. We'll pause there. The first thing we see is that this man comes towards Christ, and he worships him. He worships Jesus. And you'll notice Jesus didn't forbid it. Jesus received the worship. Why? Because he's God. You'll see there's instances in the scripture where people begin to try to worship an angel. The angels say, no, 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 don't worship me. I'm just a messenger. I'm just a servant of God like you. Worship God and him alone. And so Jesus receives the worship. And, and also notice he calls him Lord. Again, that is a, a title, right? It, it, it's acknowledging who he is. He's the master. He's the boss. He's the one in charge. And so he's realizing uh, he's the king of his life. And therefore, I'm a humble servant of his. And so this man who came to Jesus, he was a leper. And, and leprosy was a, a horrible, painful, very slow uh, disease. It was a very lonely, um, a very lonely disease in those days. And at that time, there was absolutely no cure for leprosy. 
We, we now have medicine by which leprosy can be arrested, but it cannot be cured. Right? We can pause it so it doesn't continue to devastate the body, but there's no cure for it. Uh, today it's called Hansen's disease, and treatment takes about one to two years of antibiotics to fight off the bacteria. But when the damage is done to your nerves or um, there's disfiguration to your fingers, your toes, that's irreversible, right? It, there's no way to undo that. Uh, and so for the Jewish person, the only thing more defiling than coming in contact with a leper was coming in contact with a dead body. And according to Jewish customs, one had to keep six feet away from a leper. If the wind was blowing towards a, a person from a leper, they had to keep 150 feet away. So leprosy began with the loss of sensation of some part of the body. Uh, the nerve trunks were affected. The muscles began to waste away. Then came this progressive loss of fingers and toes until the whole hand or foot was gone. It was very gross, but the duration of this leprosy, it took a long time, sometimes 20 to 30 years before the symptoms began to, sh to show. And so it was this terrible, slow, progressive kind of death. And uh, it was like the death by which a man dies by inches. And so we also need to recognize though, in scripture, leprosy is a picture of sin. And so we can see spiritually, uh, there's a parallel here. Sometimes people think when they sin that they can get away with it, right? There's no immediate consequences. It, it seems that way. Like I did something and I'm still alive. God didn't strike me down. And you know, there, no one else seems to really know about it. Um, but it's, that's not going to happen, right? Over time, you're going to see the effect of that sin. And, and it's a ripple effect, right? If you take a, a stone and you throw it into a lake of water, there's, there's a ripple, there's a ring that comes out from that. And, and that's what happens when we sin. It not only affects us, it begins to affect those close to us. And so some sins are clearly seen and have that immediate consequence. Other sins are hidden, but they don't remain hidden forever. And, uh, and so death by one sin is, uh, is more than enough. Um, that'll keep you out of heaven. But death by a, a thousand cuts of sin is just as terrible. And so better to be cleansed, better to be restored whole. And, and then when we've been forgiven by Christ and made whole, follow him. And so this man, he had been forgotten by society. Um, and you see a leper, they had, a, they had a cry out, unclean, unclean, when someone was, was approaching them. And, and they didn't want that person to be defiled. And so he was an outcast from society because of this disease. And uh, he was excluded also from uh, any form of worship in the tabernacle or in the temple. He could not come close to the Lord uh, in those areas. And so he probably felt all alone, most likely felt unwanted. Uh, but now he sees Messiah coming and his only hope has arrived. And the interesting thing here is he, he the man asked, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And the response of Jesus was, I am willing. Now, there are some people who make the tragic mistake to presume that God will heal every circumstance and every situation, and he'll heal every time. Only if they have enough faith 
right? But when you take it to that extreme, you'll find it's not scriptural. For example, Paul the Apostle asked God three times concerning that thorn of the flesh. And this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, if you're a note taker. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But it was a minister of Satan to buffet him, right? Um, and so, as Paul prayed concerning that, the Lord said, My grace is sufficient for you. It's interesting when you read that. God didn't say, Paul, you need just a little bit more faith. He didn't say, Paul, you got to just believe a little bit harder. Or, Paul, you just got to name it and claim it. He didn't say any of that. He said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And we need to recognize that in our lives as well. And so I think the, the word of faith leaders and their followers um, with the, the name and claim it kind of group, they're really afraid of God's will. Well, they like God's will and it works in their favor, right? When God blesses them and gives them what they want. But when God takes away the things that they want, well, they're not a fan of that. And that's where they get, well, you got to have, have a little bit more faith, right? Or you got to just believe a little bit harder. Um, but we're, we can be okay that God's in control and we're not, right? That he's sovereign and his will be done and not ours. And so we can, we can be assured that God's going to make everything perfect in his time. And we know one day when we make it to heaven that we'll have a glorified body, a new version of us, like a 2.0, um, right? There'll be no more sorrow, no more death, no more aches and pains in the body, um, no more taxes, right? So there'll be a lot of things to celebrate when we get there. But we'll have a new body, right? And uh, it'll, it'll be the, I don't know what age we'll be, right? But it'll be perfect and... Um, and so we won't have to deal with those infirmities, right? And so we'll have that complete healing there and then with him. And so every trial we face, we can know that God is faithful to walk through that with us. We are not alone. We're, we're never alone. And, and our family's gone through a lot of trials and, and tribulations over the years. And, and, and most of you probably know my wife, she's hard of hearing. She wears hearing aids and and there's been many times in the course of our life we prayed God, we, we asked for healing. And the Lord just continually answered and said, my grace is sufficient. Um, and we've had people that have said over the years, well, you guys don't have enough faith, right? Or, or you just need to believe a little bit harder and God, God will bring healing. And I'm like, okay, well, we've got, we've got faith in the Lord, but perhaps God doesn't want to heal right now because he's using it for his purpose and for his glory. And so like Paul, we're fine with the Lord will, will answer the way that he sees fit. And we can say, Lord, not our will, but yours be done. And to trust him. And so the Lord will answer yes, no, or wait. And true trust in him is going to be able to accept what answer he gives to us. Again, we may not always like the answer, but we, we have to trust him when we go through those times. And again, it's, it's not easy, right, when you're in the midst of it. But later on, you can look back and say, you know, God, I don't understand why you went through that. But I'm going to trust you. And, and I'm, you've been faithful to be with me. And so it takes that, that heart where you're fully committing yourself into the hands of the Lord. And if he says, I will, 
be cleaned, praise the Lord, right? If he's going to bring that healing. If he says, well, not yet, this is for God's glory. This is working in you a total trust and dependence upon him. Praise the Lord, right? Thy will be done. And so we trust God. We seek him according to his will, knowing that his grace is sufficient for us. And in this case, we see the, the leper, Jesus said, I am willing, be clean. And then it says, immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And it says that Jesus touched him. And I, I think that's fascinating here. Jesus just could have spoken the word, be cleansed. But he, he touched him as well, right? For someone who had probably not felt human contact for many, many years, and yet to have Jesus come and physically touch him and make him whole again, what an impactful experience. What a marvelous miracle that took place here. Now, there are those that complain about this, and, uh, and they say that Jesus violated the law because it was unlawful to touch a leper. And if you touched a leper, you were ceremonially unclean. You weren't allowed in the temple of God, and it'd be like if you touched a dead body, you had to go and wash yourself and do all the ceremonial cleansing, and then you had to wait until like the next day, and then you were ceremonially clean again. And so people say, well, you know, he, he violated a law because he touched a leper. Um, but you notice when Jesus touched him, he was no longer a leper. So there's that matter of the argument too. And, and just so you know, when any time you come to a scripture like that and people wrestle with those things, I'm always going to side with Jesus because uh, he's always right. And, and even if some commentator has a different opinion, I'm going to go with what Jesus says because I have to stand before him. And he's my final authority. Um, and so I'm going to say Jesus healed him. Jesus did not break the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. Uh, and it's interesting because he says to him to go and, and show yourself to the priests. Offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And this comes from Leviticus chapter 14, verse 2. Within the law of Moses, there was a provision for the curing of an incurable disease. And it says, now this is the law of the leper and the day of his cleansing. So even in the Old Testament, God made provision for leprosy, this incurable disease, that if you're cleansed from it, if you're made whole, somehow there'd be a provision on what you would do. And so in this case, um, we see that God made provision of the law to be healed, which is a work contrary to nature. And yet knowing the future, there would be a miraculous work of God, a cleansing, even in this man's life. And so after the Lord healed the man, he told him, go, follow the law, show yourself to the priest, and he can examine you. And he would be set apart for seven days, and the priest would examine him again and make sure that he's thoroughly clean. And then he would come and bring the offering and, and, and all of those things that were part of that. Um, and so you, you see that there would be a testimony to them. The priests that were there and the temple of God should have realized there's something unique going on here. We have never seen somebody healed of leprosy. 
yet there's provision in the Old Testament for it. And so they should have marveled that this is a miracle of God. And they should have realized that Jesus is the promised one, that he's the Messiah. And they should have began to realize, we need to go find out who this guy is and start listening to him and following him. And we'll see next that there's a Gentile Roman who does just that. And we'll see in verse 5 through verse 13 that Jesus heals a centurion's servant. It says, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled. And he said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Verse 11. And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way. As you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. We'll pause there. Now we see as Jesus is, is in this area, he's in the area of Capernaum. And we saw back in uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 13, I believe, that um, this was kind of his earthly headquarters there in Capernaum, next to the Sea of Galilee. It's also known as the Lake of Tiberias. And so we see as he's there, this, this centurion, this elite Roman soldier comes to him. And uh, this man probably took charge over 100 men or more, most likely promoted because of uh, his skill in, in the battlefield, uh, probably also because of his wisdom and, and how to, to lead. And we see that um, he comes to Jesus. We also have to remember that at this time, the Jewish people were under Roman occupation. And so um, most of them had a hatred towards Romans, and especially the military kind of people, so especially even towards centurions and Roman soldiers. But this Roman soldier comes to Jesus for help. And notice he didn't actually come for himself. He didn't come for uh, any reason on his own. He came on behalf of a servant, which was very unusual. At that time, uh, as, as uh, Rome uh, controlled most of the world, uh, it was said that in the Roman Empire, about half of its population were slaves. And so uh, slavery was very popular at that time. And... Um, and under Roman law, a master had the right to kill his slave. And most would do so uh, if the slave became very sick or injured to the point where they couldn't work. But this man, he had compassion on his servants. And 
if, if I were a servant, I'd probably want to work for one of these guys too, right? The, someone that, that actually cares for the people working for him. We also need to know that it was against the Jewish custom for a Jewish person to enter a Gentile home. And a Gentile was anyone who was non-Jewish. However, that was not against God's law. That was a, a custom that the Jewish people had. And Jesus was willing to prove this point. He was willing to go to the man's house. But the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. And I love this. This is fascinating because most of the Jewish people, and there's some rabbis that, that would, would uh, agree with that, that they felt that Gentiles were unworthy to come under their roof. Gentiles were unworthy to enter their home. And yet here we see a Gentile, a centurion saying, Jesus, my home is unworthy of your presence. My home is unworthy for you to come under my roof. And we just realized this guy had, had things figured out before others had things figured out. And it's also fascinating how he demonstrates tremendous faith in Jesus Christ. As a soldier, he would understand the chain of command, right? And they would expect, he gives an order, he would expect that, that it would be followed. So in a way, he says, I know exactly what authority is all about. You just speak the word and it will happen. And, and that, I think that shows his amazing faith in who Christ is. His, his amazing faith in the words of Jesus, but also in the authority in Jesus. He trusted that Jesus had all authority. And as I was thinking about that, I think the question for us is, do we show faith in Jesus' words? Do we trust in his authority? Do we recognize Jesus' words as a higher authority than Caesar's words? Are we going to obey God more than we obey government? And I know some people, they kind of get all bent out of shape when elections happen and their candidate loses. But we need to be reminded, thankfully, we have a king of kings who's always on his throne. His words endure forever. His kingdom has no end. No one votes, right, who sits on his throne. <laughs> it's, it's done, right? He's, he's the one in charge. And so we see that Jesus uh, allowed this healing to take place. In fact, as Jesus was doing this, after he performed this miracle, he then went on to predict the glorious work that was going to happen among the Gentile nations, to be a part of the kingdom as well. And he talks about the East and the West. And this is referring to the Gentile nations that would come one day and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these patriarchs of the Old Testament. And I believe what Jesus is saying here is that in the kingdom of heaven, there's going to be many people, right, from all over the globe, from different cultures, different tribes, different languages, and, and, and the book of Revelation confirms that. Right? There's going to be people from all different kinds of people groups around the world. And so he's mentioning that, that, that people are going to be all from all over the world, be able to sit down with them and, uh, and, and, and hang out with those from the old covenants. And, and, and I think sometimes we can, we can think about those things. You know, one day we get to heaven, what it would be like to sit down with the disciples or uh, sit down with the, the thief that was on the cross or with maybe with uh, Paul and, and others. But we can also realize we get to sit down with the people of the Old Testament, 
to sit down with uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and Joseph, and Noah, and Adam, and, and have a conversation with them, and what, what that's going to be like. And so as Jesus is talking about this, he, he's also giving a warning that not everyone is going to make it automatically to heaven. Some people are going to end up in a place called hell. And Jesus is saying that those who should be in heaven, well, they're, they're not going to all be there. And so the Jews were the sons of the kingdom, but in this case, they were not the son of the king. And you see, Gentiles were not automatically excluded from the kingdom of heaven. And in the same way that Jewish people weren't automatically saved and allowed into the kingdom of heaven. Both have to come to that same point and realize they need to put their faith in Jesus. Right? We're, we're not saved automatically. We're, we're saved by our faith in God. And there's an application for us. Maybe um, your parents are, are Christians or your grandparents are Christians. Uh, that doesn't mean you're automatically in. Right? You're not a Christian because your parents are. And I've heard sometimes people say, well, I've always been a Christian. Well, it doesn't really work that way. There comes a point in your life where you realize, I'm a sinner. I've sinned against a holy God. And, and you ask him to forgive you, to cleanse you, to make you a new person. Right? And that he would forgive you of your sins and come into your heart your life to be your Savior, but also your Lord. And then you choose to follow him, to live for him and live with him. You become born again. You become a new creature in Christ. Those desires you had before are gone. He gives you new desires to love him and love others. And so there comes a point where you, you experience that, that new birth in him. And so in the Old Testament, they look forward by faith to the promised one, to the Messiah. And they were saved by faith. Faith in that promise that God was going to provide. For us in the new covenant, we look back at the cross and recognize that he died for our sins, was buried in three days, that he rose from the dead. We're both saved the same way. It's by faith in Christ and Christ alone and his promises and his provision. Now, as I was taking a look at this, um, Charles Spurgeon had something interesting. He said that we see Jesus was unafraid to speak of hell. In fact, he did so more than any other in the Bible. And at that time, Spurgeon said, there were some ministers who never mentioned anything about hell. He said, I heard of a minister who once said to his congregation, if you do not love the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be sent to that place which is not polite to mention. And Spurgeon said, he ought not to have been allowed to preach again. I'm sure if he could not use plain words. The truth is there is a heaven that God has created, right, and desires for us to be with him. And there is a place called hell. It actually wasn't created for us. It was created for the devil and the fallen angels. But in the beginning, when, when God made everything perfect, Adam and Eve, they rebelled. They sinned against God. And they broke that fellowship. And God told them, the day you eat of that, you're going to die. Right? And they brought death and all the bad things in this world we see is a result of that sin in that garden. And so because of that, there's going to be a separation. But that's why Christ came. Right? He came to restore. He came to forgive. And, and, and he proved it by dying on the cross for all of our sins. And then he rose from the dead three days later. So 
we realize and recognize the love that God has for us. And he didn't just leave us to fend for ourselves and say, good luck. No, he made a way for us to be made right, to be made whole. In Jude chapter 1, there's only one chapter, but in Jude 1, verse 22 and 23, it says, On some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. In essence, we are like spiritual firefighters. Right? We're, we're doing what we can to help rescue people, people that don't know Christ, people that don't know that they can be forgiven of their sins. They can have a life that has meaning and purpose. They can be restored and made whole. And, and a life where we can encourage them to, to choose God, choose eternal life. And we can tell people, put your trust in Jesus, humble yourself and receive the grace of God. And then when you've done that, serve God. Be on the winning side. In fact, we'll see next, there's a woman who does just that. After she's healed, she continues to demonstrate that she has a heart to serve the Lord. And we'll see that in verse 14, and then we'll go through uh, verse 17. It says, Now when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and served them. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Now, I'm told that the, in the Catholic Church, they say that Peter was the first pope. And he was unmarried. And so the other popes, the other priests, they have to remain unmarried. But clearly, when you read here in chapter 8, uh, you see that Peter had a mother-in-law. I don't know about you, but if you have a mother-in-law, you have to be married. And then that is the mom of your wife, right? So logically, we can see that Peter was married. He had a mother-in-law, according to the Bible, right? Again, God does not limit uh, when you're in ministry that you can't be married. God's for marriage. God is for family. Although Paul would, would mention this in one of his letters, that marriage isn't for everyone. God calls some people to be single for their life. And, and that's fine, right? But God, God blesses a family. Right? He's not going to limit that if you're a pastor or a minister, you, you can't be married. And so we see that uh, that's something that the Catholic Church has invented, like unfortunately many other things. And so we want to continue to pray for them and others. Uh, they come back and they, they discover things according to the Bible. So Peter, being a good son-in-law and husband, looked after his mother-in-law. And that might give us a clue as well that the father-in-law perhaps had passed away. He could no longer take care of his wife. Would also give us a clue, perhaps, that uh, Peter's wife had no brothers, um, because then legally it would be their responsibility to take care uh, of their mom. And so we see Peter um, had a desire to help, and uh, and was there and, and allowed his mother-in-law to to be in the home so they could care for uh, care for her. 
And we see Jesus, he, he healed this woman with a gentle touch of his hand. And it says uh, that her, her, she was healed, right? She was lying sick with a fever and he touched her hand and the fever left her. And it reminds me that her sickness was much less severe than what the leper had. Yet Jesus still cared for her. And I think it's important for us to know that God cares for us as well. Not just the big things that we face, but in the little things as well. And maybe your family is experiencing something horrific like cancer. Pray, seek the Lord. Ask him to heal. Ask him to guide, right? But maybe that's something small. Maybe you've got a really bad migraine or a headache or some infirmity. You don't have to manage that on your own. Pray, seek the Lord. Maybe he wants to heal you, right? And so we realize that, that, that nothing is too big or too small for our God to handle. God is able, right? And so we can seek him and, and allow him to do that. And, and I'll be honest, I love this woman's uh, heart to serve. We see immediately after she was healed, what does she do? She fixed them something to eat. She ministered to them in a physical way. She provided food and she served Jesus. It reminds me of those who have been forgiven much, love much, and that we love him because he's first loved us. If you have never had that encounter with Christ, where you realize how much you've been forgiven and how much he loves you, you're going to kind of just live a mediocre life, right? But if you've understood your own wretchedness and sinfulness and, and how much Christ has forgiven you and how much he loves you, that you're his prized son or daughter, that you get to have fellowship with the creator of the universe who's crazy about you and loves you, man, you're going to say, how can I continue? And how can I press in closer to that relationship? How can I get to know this God even more? And how can I discover his will for my life and, and then live for him? And I think that's what, what we need to have the same heart for. And so we too serve Jesus in response to his love for us. We don't serve God and try and manipulate him to get Jesus to work a blessing for us. It reminds me of a story I heard once of a, a, a little boy, and for Christmas, he really, really wanted a, a bicycle. And, uh, and so he kept praying for a bicycle, and, um, and one day he, he uh, was in the, in, in the living room, and above the fireplace was uh, the nativity scene, and uh, his mom uh, caught him taking Mary from the nativity scene. And, uh, and I was like, what in the world's going on? And, and then he, she caught him taking uh, baby Jesus and Joseph as well. And, and she's like, son, what are you doing? Well, I prayed God to give me a bicycle. And if he doesn't, I'm not going to give him his family back. <laughs> and I was like, oh boy, it doesn't, doesn't work that way. <laughs> right? And so we, we can't blackmail God. Right? We can't get him a headlock and say, you got to do what I want or I'm not giving you something. Right? It doesn't work that way, right? We, we serve him because we want to. We serve him because we desire to. We don't have to. And I hope you realize that uh, you shouldn't be forced to follow Christ. It's your free will to follow him, 
right? Now, there's other religions out there that will force you to convert or die. Christ doesn't do that. He died for you so you can have the choice to choose him or reject him. And so just as, as God desires us to follow him, he wants us to do it of our own free will. To respond with a heart to love him and a heart to serve him. And we see after Jesus received that food, he then cared for many individuals that came for healing. And I believe it says here that he, he dealt with each person. He healed all who were sick. We see he, he cast the demons out that were demon-possessed with a word, and he healed all those who were sick. And it says that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. It's fascinating. We don't see Jesus, although he could have done it this way. He could have just waved his hand and the whole crowd would have been healed or spoken and said, be healed, and everyone was healed. We get the insight that he dealt with this individually, right? And even had come, they brought to him people, and, and he, he personally dealt with them. As just we've seen, he, he touched a leper, right? And he dealt with a centurion and a servant and healed Peter's mother-in-law. He's a very personal God. He wants to be personal in our life. And he heals each person. And he fulfills Isaiah 53.5. As Isaiah was prophesying concerning God's servant, the Messiah, he said, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Pastor Chuck Smith said, The finest commentary you have on the Old Testament is not always those who declare themselves to be Bible scholars today. The finest commentary you have in the Old Testament is the inspired New Testament. And here Matthew, writing on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, declares the physical healing that were upon these people, that were brought to them by Jesus there in Peter's house that evening as Jesus healed them, as he was doing that, was the prophecy of Isaiah that it might be fulfilled. And so Matthew extends this prophecy not only to spiritual healing, but also to physical healing. That Jesus came, right? As we know, he, he took our infirmities. He bore our sicknesses. In Christ, there is spiritual healing. There is forgiveness of our sins, but there's also physical God can also heal. God can also remove those infirmities, remove those sicknesses. And so Matthew reminds us of this, that there's nothing too hard for our God. And so we see that Jesus, and I believe first and foremost, he wants to heal people spiritually. He wants people to have their sins forgiven. He wants to have that relationship with people. But he's also open to healing. Right, to restoring people who are, who are physically um, uh, need, needing that healing touch. And again, we, we don't always know what God's will is. Perhaps he'll answer yes. Maybe no. Maybe wait. And we've seen those circumstances in our life where, where God has, has done uh, a, a work, and sometimes it is yes, and sometimes it's no, and sometimes it's wait. And we have to trust him with the outcome. Again, that's not always easy. Right? We like things done our way, but guess what? We're not in charge. We're not God. He is. And we have to learn to say, not my will, but yours be done.
And we need to seek the Lord and his will for our life, knowing the best is yet to come when heaven is our reality. So in closing, we see Jesus ministers to a leper, a man who is outside of society, ostracized because of this disease. He ministers to a Roman Gentile, a, a soldier and his servant, one who was outside of the covenant to Israel. And then, then Jesus ministers to a woman who at that time in society was looked down upon. It would take the testimony of two or three women to equal the testimony of a man, which is why after the resurrection, when the, when the women came and, and shared with the disciples, it was hard for them to believe it. They had to go and see it for themselves. And yet Jesus declares his resurrection to women first, the unsung hero. And we see that he ministers to uh, Peter's mother-in-law, who was probably looked down upon. And yet Jesus never looks down upon anyone. He never excluded anyone. In fact, Jesus would say he's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. Anyone's welcome, but you have to come to him. You have to come through him. And that's God's desire. And maybe you're here this morning. You don't know Christ as your Savior and Lord. He wants you to get to know him. He wants to be your God, your King, and your Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the ability to study your word and to draw closer to you. And Lord, we thank you that you are a personal God, a God who came to rescue, came to redeem. And Lord, as we've seen that this man who had leprosy came to you for healing, that Lord, you touched him and you restored him and made him whole. And God, we thank you that you've done that for us. That you've forgiven us of our sins. And you've made us whole in you. And Lord, we pray if there be anyone here this morning who needs that spiritual touch or even that healing touch, Lord, that today would be their day of salvation. That they would surrender their life to you, put their faith and trust in you. And Lord, we know there's nothing too hard for you. And maybe there's someone here today who needs that physical healing. Lord, would you hear their prayer? And would you give them an answer? Would you help them to have that trust in you and your timing and your plan for them? And so, God, we pray that you would continue to minister to every heart here. We thank you, Lord, that, that you came to those who were outsiders. You came to rescue those the religious leaders wrote off. Lord, we thank you that you've come to rescue us, to adopt us into your family. And Lord, we pray if there be anyone here this morning who needs to make that decision to commit their life to you, we ask God that today would be their day of salvation. And so we pray, Lord, that you would be convicting hearts of sin. And Lord, convincing hearts and minds of your love and grace for them that you're willing to cleanse them from within, to restore them and give them a life, a new heart with new desires, a life of meaning and purpose, a life of knowing you and being with you forever. And maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor Tim, I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray with me. I'm not right with God. I'm not certain that if I took my last breath and died today, I would be with him in heaven. 
I need to have that assurance that you're talking about. I want to make sure that I know Jesus as my Savior. I know him as my Lord and my King. And if that's you this morning, you're ready to make the decision. I just want to lead you in a prayer where you make that decision to put your faith, put your trust in Jesus Christ. And if that's you and you're ready to make that decision, I simply want to encourage you to repeat this prayer for me and truly mean it in your heart. God, I realize that I'm a sinner. And I realize that you love me. That Jesus, you died on the cross for my sins. And you rose from the dead. God, I ask you, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from all wrongdoing. Take away my guilt and my shame. Give me a heart with new desires to please you. Living a life to do your will. I surrender all of myself to you. Help me from this day forward to follow you. Put your spirit within me that I may do your will. That I can love you and love others. God, I thank you for knowing me. I thank you for loving me. I thank you for forgiving me and adopting me into your family. I thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior and my Lord and my King of Kings. I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Look, if that was you and that was the first time you prayed to receive Jesus Christ or maybe a rededication, coming back to him as a prodigal, you've realized it wasn't heading the right way and you've come back and realized your need for him. Hey, let me give you a couple of resources after service, give you a Bible if you don't have one and, and pray with you. Um,